Blog Talk Radio. And now, here's your host, William Powell. The King of DC Media. Good afternoon, dear listeners. Today's guest is Eric Braden, a.k.a. Victor Newman from The Young and the Restless who has acted in many classic movies and TV shows from Rap Patrol and 100 Rifles in the 1960s to Escape from Planet of the Apes and How the West Was Won in the 1970s, Titanic in the 1990s, and more recently in 2008 in The Man Who Came Back. Eric is here today to plug his biography, I'll Be Damned, which details his journey from his days as Hans Gudegast in Kiel, Germany, to his days as a cowhand and river explorer in Montana, to his stardom on stage and screen. The book is available at Amazon.com, and you can read more about Eric at ericbraden.com or Twitter at ebraden, that's B. R-A-E-D-E-N. So I've got a little uh, excerpt here from, um, actually from People Magazine. And it talks about how Eric grew up over there in Kiel, Germany, and how he came over here to the, to, to the U.S. So actually, I'm uh, actually seeing Eric on the line right now. So let me go ahead and bring him right on in. Good afternoon, Eric. William, how are you? Man, I'm fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show again. All right, brother. All right, all right. Okay, so back in uh, 1959 as a high school graduate, uh, you booked a one-way passage on an ocean liner to America. So what was the catalyst for you to make that decision? William, I can hardly hear you. The connection is not too good. Can oh, okay. Hold on. Uh, can you hear me better now? Now I can hear a little better. Yeah. Oh, can you hear a lot better? Uh, a little better. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Uh, that's not good. That's okay. not good right uh, now. Can you I hear, can a, lot, hear lot, you. a little bit better now? Yeah, a little better now. Okay, fantastic. So in 1959, as a high school graduate, uh, you booked yep. a one-way passage on an ocean liner to America. Uh, what was the catalyst for you to make that decision? Just adventure, you know. Um, yeah, adventure driven by um, the need to improve one's financial lot. And um, America was always the uh, country of, 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 you know, opportunity and and uh, other freedoms so um there was an offer made by a cousin of mine who taught medicine at the medical university of texas and she asked me on a visit to germany after i'd won the german youth championship in track and field uh, whether i wanted to come to america i said sure let's go and having been influenced after the war by elvis presley and louis armstrong and and uh, Chuck Berry and, and a lot of other people. So um, it, it, America has conjured visions of adventure. Fantastic, fantastic. So now your book is 288 pages. Was writing fun for you or was it a chore? No, it was all right. Not a big deal. You know, talking to a tape recorder. 
And uh, no, not a big deal. Not really. I, I can't say that. It was not a profound experience in that sense. Um, because I'm very open about all that stuff and um, uh, always talk about it, you know. All right. All right. Now, we've talked before about how you took note of prejudice in America on a bus trip through the South in the 60s. Do you think America is heading back in that direction lately? Uh, well, in in 1959, on, on a bus trip from New York to Galveston, Texas, driving to the South, um, you want to talk about segregation. That was real segregation. Unabashed, uh, brutal, obvious discrimination and segregation. In- incredible. And stunning to someone who uh, grew up with the notion that America was a you know, country of democracy. And um, uh, shocking at the time, I must say. So what is happening, what has happened in the interim has been a, an enormous improvement, I think, in, in race relations. Uh, certainly not perfect, uh, <clears throat> but they have improved. What is happening right now, mm, it's too early to tell. Um, I don't think there's a... I think right now there's a re-examination of, of uh, still pockets and, 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 and ways to discriminate that need, need to be eradicated. You know, uh, trying to gerrymander voting rights districts, etc., etc., uh, that shit continues and shouldn't. So, um, um, but on the whole, that's been an enormous improvement. Enormous. Anyone claiming otherwise no. doesn't remember those times. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so uh, let's move a little forward now. Later on, uh, after you got to America, you attended college, and you and a friend, Bob McKinnon, made a little film about. Uh, being the first man to take a boat uh, from the source of the mouth of the uh, Salmon River and back again, and then that led to Hollywood. So tell me a little bit about your early auditions. Well, we made a documentary film. I went to at a scholarship at the University of Montana, and in discus and javelin and shotgun, and uh, um, worked at night in a lumber mill from 6 to 2 in the morning on the green chain to earn you know, a living in the Scholarship only provided tuition, uh, but no living expenses. So I worked from 6 to 2 in the morning in a lumber mill. And uh, had a girlfriend whose girlfriend had a boyfriend, and that boyfriend was Bob McKinnon, and who now is, I think, is a teacher in Great Falls, Montana. And he approached me and said, do you want to take a river trip in Idaho on the Salmon River, also known as the River of No Return? I said, well, what's the upshot? He says, we make a documentary film, and with that, we'll go to California. I said, I'm in. So that's how that came about. Just had turned 18, uh, 19 and uh, raised for anything, you know, and almost lost my life three times. And we made the documentary film and then got onto another Greyhound bus and went from uh, Montana uh, to Los Angeles in 1960. There you go. End of 1960. And nice. that documentary was shown on television in... in um, hold on one second. Huh? Yes. So, um, 
that's the long and the short of it. Nice, nice. And then from there, you had a bunch of auditions and you got into uh, TV and film. So talk about those early auditions. I mean, did you have, did you take any training? Did you just, was it something that just came natural to you? It came came very natural to me, and I was very always very good in German high school to uh, to read classical texts aloud, and we were always graded on that how well we did that reading, and um, uh, that essentially is good training for what is called cold reading in Hollywood, where you go into a into an interview and they give you sides uh, pages of a script, and they say, "Would well, you read that for us?" And of course, that requires uh, an ability to interpret things very quickly. And I guess I was good at that and got jobs very early on, the early 60s, you know. Nice, nice. And from there, uh, you were able to uh, co-found the uh, the German-American Cultural Society. So that, talk a little yeah, bit about that. That came a little later. That came as a consequence of of doing an interview in the Washington Post, uh, where I talked about the prevailing tendency in in Hollywood and in American media to identify Germany with that uh, 12-year period between 1933 and 45, and that that angered me. Uh, it 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 was such an oversimplification of what is a very complex society. And yet I understood um, that obviously one would talk about uh, the atrocities committed by that regime. So it it, it is a kind of... Um, anyway, I expressed all that in the interview, and I assume aroused the interest of uh, a German embassy and, and, and the White House at the time, and uh, was invited to Washington, D.C., and, and had further talks about that issue and the importance of... of uh, uh, German diplomats to avail themselves of an American PR firm to um, show a picture of Germany that was far more realistic and not limited to that time. So, um, and then I decided it was important to have open dialogue between uh, Germans and Jews, between uh, Germans and German Americans, and uh, American Jews and uh, uh, I was sick and tired of both groups talking behind each other's backs, both feeling very offended, and um, um, I felt the need to have dialogue. And hence, I created with friends the German-American Cultural Society in order to cultivate that dialogue. Great. That's fantastic. Okay, um, you know, I, I think I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I know you love to talk about politics. So you're not shy about it. So I'll ask you about um, Trump's budget. So I, I imagine you're not a fan of Trump's budget. So what recommendations do you have uh, to combat it? Well, I don't know. You know, the Democrats, <laughs> need, to get their, the Democrats need to get their act together. And, and um, you know, time will... Time usually heals all wounds, and um, his budget obviously is eviscerating uh, or tries to eviscerate uh, Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, and, and now they're cutting the budget for meals on, on wheels, uh, which is helping um, older people to survive. 
um, meals that are being brought to older people who are in dire need. Uh, without that, they probably would starve to death. And all those kind of budgets are cut now and eviscerated, and uh, that is counterproductive and stupid. So, uh, and never mind uh, being inhumane at the same time, but it's mostly counterproductive. That that will bite them in the ass. So, um, uh, we I don't think we need any more money for our military. Uh, contrary to what this administration uh, has proclaimed in its in its campaign, um, I think America is is great, is strong, has been strong is the strongest nation in, in, in the world and has been the founding uh, uh, element in, in, in international alliances that have helped us uh, maintain a world um, without a war between Russia and America, for example. And um, NATO is, is obviously, um, you know, the basic idea stems from America. So does the notion of the United Nations uh, was created after the Second World War, as the League of Nations was created after the First World War, all upon America's initiative to try to uh, create stability in the world. And to undo those international alliances is downright uh, reckless. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you know, recently uh, German Chancellor... Uh, Angela Merkel uh, came to the U.S. and then Trump was, uh, was kind of cold to her. I don't know if oh, you please. saw that, but what, what was your opinion of that? I have no idea what that was about, but I... <laughs> I <laughs> that guy is a clown. Let's not even talk about it any further. It's, he's not not worth talking about. It's 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 uh, absolutely clownish behavior, and uh, unfortunately he's in a very powerful position. But uh, under any other circumstances, that behavior would not be tolerated. And uh, he has offended the Brits, has offended uh, the Germans now, and is is offending the very alliance that keeps America safe as well. It is in America's interest that NATO is a, is a powerful alliance, that the United Nations is a powerful uh, international group, that uh, the World Health Organization, etc., etc. This is all in America's interest. And for anyone to be so stupid as not to see that... Uh, they don't. They shouldn't be in power. All right, all right. I'm gonna switch back to acting. So I know your son is a, a director, Christian uh, Gudegas. He's directing uh, Gerard Butler and Dennis Thieves. So uh, tell me about that. I know you visited the set. Yep, I he was he's filming in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, it's a heist movie called Den of Thieves and stars Gerard Butler and uh, 50 Cent and uh, O.J. Jackson, and uh, it's it's going to be a hell of a picture. And I was there, played a little cameo, uh, been directed by my son, who also wrote the script for it, and it was um, a wonderful moment, I must say, as a father, to see your son uh, get to the point where he directs a $50 million picture and um, is doing a hell of a job. So... That that was a wonderful moment, I must say. Nice. So uh, you can probably predict my next question. So, how was it for your son to give the orders? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you know, we we never really had 
the kind of father-son relationship where I dictated. Um, I mean, I coached him for many years, and it, you know, he and I talked about everything. So we are more friends than 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 in that sense than uh, the traditional father-son relationship. I. I played sports with him, I boxed with him, I played tennis with him, I did everything with him, and always allowed him to, to, um, in other words, if if he was ready to beat me in either lifting weights or in boxing, whatever it was, uh, I let that happen. I didn't give in. I fought very hard, but I let the natural progression uh, of age um, happen, and... Um, uh, so we don't have that typical father-son relationship where I dictate to him. That has never been the case. We talk about things. Oh, no. as, I think, as I think ideally it should be between father and son or mother and daughter or parents and children, you know, you, you talk about things. You don't dictate. You just talk about things and, and uh, come to a reasonable conclusion. Sometimes, of course, you need to tell them who is boss, but that was years ago. That hasn't been the case for a long time. Nice, nice. So, you know, uh, recently it's been uh, pilot season. So what advice would you give actors who are listen, uh, looking to get cast? <laughs> There's no no specific advice you can give. All I can tell you is, is if you're prepared well, if you've done your work as an actor in, in small theater <clears throat> or repertory companies, whatever, then go for it. Uh, otherwise, if someone tells you you're good-looking, you should be an actor, stay the hell out of it. <laughs> there, 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 are, there are tens of thousands in this town who were told that, and, and they're you know, uh, wasting their time on the periphery with uh, doing all kinds of other jobs instead of... Uh, most actors are rather intelligent, and I would say they should spend their time getting degrees or whatever. It's it's a very seductive industry in which you are seduced with one little part or another, and then you keep on hoping that the great breakthrough will happen. And it is I've seen too many people waste intelligence and energy in the pursuit of that. But if you're serious about it, and you have you know done your due diligence in in little theater and all that, uh, if you really are passionate about it. Uh, that's a different story. But you need to be passionate about acting, not about being a star. Screw that nonsense. Uh, right. about, you need right. to be passionate about wanting to act. And that you only yeah, find out by doing theater. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like in your case, I mean, uh, I've heard it say that people, a lot of people give up on their dreams like around age 26. So, so like for you, I mean, did you ever have like a um, a fork in the road where you say, well, you know, I'm going to keep going or I'm going to stop? Or, I mean, how did that work out for you? Well, I would say that that time came, I think, when I guest starred on a lot of television shows in the 60s and 70s, and I'd reached a point of saying, what am I doing this for? It, it it's just simply doesn't interest me enough. And um, But then, you know, um, I was doing well. So um, I just, I must say, if, if I'd had my brothers and I'd had the opportunity, I would have probably started directing and, and, and writing. And um, I didn't have the guts to do that because I was making money as an actor. But um, 
what changed my mind about all that is obviously doing the soap, doing Young and Restless, where you are employed on a daily basis, and you realize um, that you speak to you know millions of people every day, and uh, that is somewhat fulfilling to know that what you do entertains people, and doing YNR has changed my mind about about that aspect. I always look for meaning in in what I did. And um, then realized when I did public appearances that entertaining people, purely entertaining people, is really the quintessential meaning of what we do. Absolutely, absolutely. You mentioned uh, writing. I, I, I imagine you've written scripts and things like that, and you've also uh, produced. I mean, there was a very interesting film. I have not seen it yet. Uh, the Man Who Came Back. So, um yeah. What's the latest on that? Um, well, it, you know, when you finish it, you give it to distributors, and then um, <laughs> you pray. <laughs> In other words, you pray to get an honest accounting, and, and uh, uh, you never know. Uh, then you pray that they will advertise it properly. Uh, it, it's a kind of a um, slightly dark picture. It's not an entertaining picture in that sense of light entertainment. But it it's, uh, deals with a dark period in American history during Reconstruction, right after the Civil War, when slavery had nominally ended, but was practiced in reality by economic means. And it takes place in, in, in the South in the 1870s. And uh, it, it's, it's, yeah, um, it was brought to me as a revenge picture. And then I said I need an historic background in order to uh, give it a real kind of a parameter. And um, that's what happened. I love doing it. I enjoy doing it almost more than anything I've ever done. And uh, we had George Kennedy, the late George Kennedy, who I uh, respected deeply. Um, then we had uh, Kenny Norton, the former heavyweight champion. Um, then we had Ahmed Asante a wonderful actor, and, and Billy Zane, who I met on Titanic, and Sean Young, who's a very good actress. and um, So um, I love doing that picture. Um, but then a lot of that depends on how well it is distributed. So uh, there you are. That's where it is right now. It's being sold. All right, all right. So I'm going to ask you about your opinion of what are the qualities of a of a great TV actor? I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's any difference between a TV actor, a stage actor, or a movie actor. It's all about honesty. You're either honest or not. Either an actor has a bullshit meter, and he knows when something is not right, or he... Uh, has a very finely tuned sense of what is real and what is not. Uh, I don't think there's any difference between uh, the acting. On stage, it's a bit more artificial sometimes. You just need to project much more, and uh, that obviously creates a certain uh, artificiality. But um, the basic impulse of an actor has to be to be as truthful and as honest as he can be. Absolutely, absolutely. And how do you go about um, when you get a script 
and you're building your character, what's some of the methods that you personally personally use to build a character? Well, that's a very good question. Um, it obviously depends on the role. It, 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 you become aware of the history of the character, um, where you grew up, under what circumstances. Um, if you do Shakespeare, for example, you obviously, I mean, Richard III, uh, you try to find out as much about the history of that, of that character, of what Shakespeare referred to, um, and then it's it's all in the good writing. If the writing is good, you find all the clues within uh, the author's uh, conception of the character. So um, when you do something like uh, what I do on YNR, then it is a mixture of the writer and the actor uh, coming up with with um, um, certain emotional content. Uh, that you bring to the role out of your own life. And um, um, the writers then, as in a soap, it is obviously an ongoing process. It's the hardest medium there is in our business, for writers and actors both. Um, but you, the writer then gets a sense of what the actor is capable of and, and what he responds to. And the good writers like Bill Bell, for example, who was the original of our show, had a good sense. He, he, he would observe an actor and say, uh-huh, let me go into that direction now. And um, um, it's a cooperative effort. If you have a writer who writes a film and has months to prepare it and to iron out all the little details, uh, then you need to have a collaboration between the writer and the actor who then interprets that role. Uh, so it, it 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 depends on various um, conditions. In other words, if if a famous actor, for example, who is responsible for um, for green lighting, um, million dollar, many million dollar project, um, that actor then has a lot of leeway to bring in his own interpretation. Uh, if, for example, the Director is a famous director, like Kubrick or Scorsese or any of those people. Yeah. They will then impose their idea on the actor more than the other way around. But it's it's always a collaborative effort. Uh, but I would say in most cases of big stars uh, who green light a project, it is really kind of up to them. Um, obviously, with input from from the director and the writer. But it is sort of up to them what they do with it, because, because without them, the film wouldn't be made. So, but when I think of, for example, I mean, the best example of, of uh, what an actor should do is, 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 is Meryl Streep. I mean, she is just extraordinary. She is an extraordinary yeah. actress. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix, for example, when he did, yeah. when he did Johnny Cash, I mean, absolutely brilliant performance and yeah. so it, it's it's upon depends on the training of the actor depends on how serious he's about the subject matter but i mean joaquin phoenix for example who did johnny cash i mean phoenix i think is is much smaller in stature uh physical stature and yet he i mean he convinced me i, I was stunned i was absolutely stunned by that performance 
or Jamie Foxx, who played, uh, um, what's his name? Um, Ray Charles. Ray Charles. Yeah, Ray. Unbelievable. I mean, brilliant. Yeah. Just brilliant. And so it, it depends on, on the character you play. If it's a known person, then obviously you delve deeply into that person's uh, um, psychological makeup and, and environment and history, etc., etc. So, but if it, is a, if it is a fictional character created by a writer, uh, then it is really uh, contingent upon how the actor interprets that, you know? Exactly, exactly. So you said that some uh, directors are more collaborative than others. How about Cameron? James Cameron? Yeah. James Cameron is a, is a genius, you know. He is, um, I mean, um, two of the most biggest grossing films in the history of Hollywood, uh, Titanic and Avatar. And I mean, my God, the guy is, is incredible. And he, um, I think James, has a tendency to to um, work on what he knows the quality of the actor to be. Um, um, he's just he's just brilliant in every aspect of filmmaking, because there's so much more to filmmaking than than what the actor brings to him. Um, he, he's a genius. Um, very collaborative in that sense, and and uh, uh, very nice to work with. Nice, nice. Okay, I'm going to switch to uh, sports. So I know that you're a good athlete and that uh, you won the uh, U.S. National Soccer Championship with the Los Angeles Maccabees back in the That's 70s. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, when you're watching sports, uh, being a former athlete, does that make f- uh, sports – uh, watching more fun, or, or are you like uh, judging everybody? Makes it, I mean, makes you, it, you makes it, it more makes it much more makes it much more fun and makes it um, uh, more interesting to watch because you 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 know more of what goes into it, and uh, and you you admire good athletes even more because most people who are unwashed when it comes to sports don't really realize how good uh, Peyton Manning is or. or uh, Tom Brady or, or Jim Brown or uh, O.J. Simpson as a running back or whoever they are. It's 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 John Matusak or, um, you know, my God, fearsome, foursome of the L.A. Rams, for example, or um, Magic Johnson, I mean, uh, Muhammad Ali. It's, it's, it's uh, you just get a deeper appreciation of, of how good they are. It's just incredible. Obviously, uh, you're usually endowed with enormous physical gifts uh, as a top athlete, and uh, then with uh, the imponderables. You know what, what's the what's the they call it uh, basketball IQ, for example, or uh, football IQ. In other words, it's it's the basic instinctive reactions to certain situations in all sports, and the top athletes have that. It's it's given to them. And you hone that as well. You obviously hone it. You perfect it. I mean, think of a Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, yeah. Brilliant fighter. I mean, Mayweather. Mayweather is arguably one of the best ever. He's the most elusive yeah. fighter I've ever seen in the ring. He's extraordinary. Just extraordinary. 
and, yeah, and uh, or totally different guys is Manny Pacquiao, um, fantastic fighter, and it's it's um, I, I love sports. I absolutely love sports and engage in them as much as I can personally because I think it's working out is the best medicine there is, both physically and mentally. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I mean, I, I, but then, but then you look at a Tom Brady, and the reason I bring him up is because the man wasn't even really looked at after the NFL yeah. combine and all that. He was just sort of, you know, um, and I think he was drafted number four or five for the the Patriots, and not right. taken that seriously. And he wasn't. Even, he, I think he was when he was uh, recruited by Michigan. Uh, was number four on the quarterback list, or five, I think. I mean, it's extraordinary right. what that man. That's why I mention him, because it's just extraordinary that against all odds, that man is obviously one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So those kind of stories are just so inspiring. Or uh, uh, Peyton Manning, after, what, three or four neck surgeries, to play as brilliantly as he did, whoa. It's it's yeah. just incredible, and and then then think of a of a Herschel Walker, um, what a powerhouse, and what's the what's the guy who unfortunately played for the Raiders at the end and broke his leg, what's his name? Um, uh, Bo Jackson. Yes, my God yeah. Almighty, what a oh, phenomenal athlete, incredible. Yeah, and um, to play baseball. And think of Michael Jordan. Yeah. Think of Michael Jordan. I mean, just what a, well, it's, it's just, it's poetry in motion, you know? And now LeBron James, I mean, talk about physically gifted, whoa. It's, yeah, it's, it's just unbelievable too. to watch that. And when you have yeah. been in sports, you suddenly realize, you say, I'll be damned, this is incredible. Or think of the, the UFC fighter, uh, George St. Pierre, the guy from, from, yeah. from, from uh, Canada. That guy yeah. is such a fantastic athlete, has such extraordinary vertical jump. Just watch him as an athlete. He could have been anything. Could have been a gymnast, could have been a decap, could have been anything. And, um, I mean, Jim Brown, who I had the pleasure of working with on the film 100 Rifles, I mean, what an athlete. What, mm-hmm. what an extraordinary athlete. What a oh, specimen. Yeah. Just extraordinary. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, Dick Butkus. Yeah. Remember Dick Butkus. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Oh. Taylor. Oh, my God. And Lawrence Taylor. Wow. JT. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, yep. man, they're fierce. I love sports. <laughs> yeah, so i got to ask you, uh, who, who's going to take it all in uh, college basketball in the tournament? <laughs> well, I'm very prejudiced. I hope UCLA. You know, my son went to UCLA, and, and, and I grew up in the – I mean, I – Live right near UCLA and practice on their fields and and uh, took some evening classes there when I was an actor and I, I hope the Bruins are coming back to what they once were a uh, long time in coming and that uh, what's his name Alonzo uh, uh, Ball is that his name yeah I think right B A L L Alonzo yeah. Ball great player and then the two Walsh and and the other uh, one six ten one seven foot. And I hope the Bruins will do it. 
Nice, nice. Okay, well, I was born in North Carolina, so you know who I'm who I'm uh, well, for. Well, you're, you're for <laughs> NC. Right, but let, yeah. now listen, are you, are you, <laughs> you were born in North Carolina, so you're an NC friend, yeah? Oh yeah. Are you an NC yeah, that's, fan? That's wrong with that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so you're you're not a Duke fan then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know enough North Carolinians to know that the lines are very clearly drawn between oh, North yeah. Carolina fans, North Carolina State and Duke. That's a oh there's a big big war going on between those guys. And then there's <laughs> Wake Forest. And there's Wake Forest. And uh, oh, yeah. I I I know about all those passions on all sides. So, but I've admired uh, Duke and and uh, uh, North Carolina and, and Roy Williams and Coach K and oh boy, I <laughs> oh yeah, I know about those rivalries. <laughs> and you know who I who I admired as a player, although he was Ooh. disliked intensely, is Christian Leitner. When he oh, played yeah. for Duke years ago, I, I know he was disliked by a lot of people, but when you watch that son of a bitch, he is a tough son of a gun, man of man. Oh yeah, he was what a competitor. Oh, what a competitor he was! Wow, he reminds me a little bit of I'm, I'm friends with uh, Rick Barry, the old basketball player, you know. Uh huh. And uh, Rick Barry had a similar kind of attitude. It's just, it's, it's, and what a great player he was! My God. He was always on the All-Stars with Will Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor and Rick Barry and Jerry West. and um, yeah. So you can see I go way back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I know a lot of, a lot of athletes would watch you on, on, uh, on the TV during the day at hotel rooms. And I know you were friends with a lot of them. Uh, I mean, like yeah. Kenny Norton. What, what are some yeah. of the other ones that you were friends with? Well, Ali and I had, um, and he invited me to his 50th birthday party, me and my son, and then um, we knew each other and always a very friendly hello, and then I was on a, on a plane trip with him uh, from Philadelphia to L.A., and uh, uh, we talked for a long time, and he showed me some of his magic tricks, and what a, what, what a sweet man, what a, what a, well, he's beyond sports, obviously. Uh, but when he and I walked through through LAX together, I've never seen anything like it. It was like parting the seas. I mean, everyone stopped. Everyone stopped. And regardless of ethnic background, religious background, racial background, I mean, it didn't make any difference. They all stopped. They all knew him. And, and just looked at him in awe. And he had a kind word for everyone. And then later on, we were he and I were shadow boxing in a special elevator at LAX that he had access to, <laughs> and uh, just uh, he obviously knew some of the gyms that I box in, the Hoover Street Gym and 70th and Hoover in LA and 108th and Broadway, and um, yeah, and and the other guy who impressed me a lot uh, was Pele, uh, the soccer player. I was oh, in yeah. his presence a few times and. Uh, Equally generous with with the audience and with people, and and uh, what a another extraordinarily gifted person. So, yeah, and um, awesome. Yep. 
Awesome. George awesome. Foreman. George Foreman came by and said hello. I remember, and on one hour he was in the studio and he came by and said hello, and then uh, I felt deeply honored uh, because I had such respect for him. And uh, the rumble in the jungle, I'll never forget it. Ali and Foreman. Yeah. Wow. What a what a fight. And then Joe Frazier. I met Joe Frazier, and we talked a little. And and what a warrior he was. My God, the Thriller in Manila, to me, one of the biggest sporting events of all time. Incredible. That's right. Incredible. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. It was. I, I think it was 90 degrees humidity and over 100 degree heat. And they fought for, was it, was it 15 rounds, I think, or 12 rounds at the time? Yeah, about 15 rounds, yeah. I mean, unbelievable. What a back and forth. God. I will never, mm. never, 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 never forget it. And um, just under two extraordinary warriors. And there are some moments that, that uh, bring tears to your eyes because you, you just, when you have done it a little, as I have, or what, you just realize how utterly exhausting that is. You know, I used to be able to do 10 rounds in the heavy bag years ago and, and yeah. was exhausted afterwards. But in the ring, only about five rounds. That's it. And I was exhausted after that. Now you imagine in that heat, getting hit by the most powerful mm. people on, on the planet for 15 rounds. Oh, my God. Or 12 mm. rounds. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And I have nowadays great respect for UFC, you know. Uh, what those yeah. guys do whoa it's mm. unbelievable the Randy Couture's of this world yeah. and uh, John Bones Jones and and, and Cormier and, 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 and uh, I just have the deepest respect for these guys they're putting their ass on the line yeah. every time they get in the ring you know oh yeah <laughs> you get seriously yeah. hurt <laughs> you yeah that. yeah Mm-hmm. And Ali said that was the closest. Sugar, Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard's fight again. Without dying. Say what again? The, uh, Muhammad Ali said that Rumble in the Jungle said it was the closest he ever came to uh, dying without dying. It was just so rough. Uh, I think I think it was a thriller in Manila where he where he said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said Manila, that yeah. Closest he ever was to death. And, yeah. And uh, my God, yeah. So. There you are, big sports yeah. fan. All right. Okay. And, uh, boy, so we're the, coming the, the march, here. So uh, think about mat. this for a second. Uh, what do you think is your personal motto or words to live by? Try to be as good to other people as you can. Try to be as forgiving as you can. Try to help other people if you can. And then try your damnedest. Compete hard, you know? Don't give up. Right. Compete hard. Someone challenges me, okay, let's go, let's do it. Whatever sport that's is right. in, I may lose, but that's okay. Try your best. <laughs> but be be a mensch. Be, be as much of a nice being as you can. A human being as you can. Be kind to other people. That's all. Respect them. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Eric, before I let you go, I'll give you one more chance to uh, just plug your book. I don't know if you have a tour going on right now. Just talk a little bit about that, and we'll wrap up. Well, the book is called I'll Be Damned, and it's a memoir of my life and um, um, interesting topics, I guess. it's I'm on the bestseller list. Uh, the Publishers Weekly Bestseller List, and now also the Canadian Bestseller List. So uh, obviously, it, it, it I guess, um, evoked some interest, and that makes me very happy. Um, and the next book tour, maybe I just finished it in Atlanta, then I went to Toronto, and here in LA, and New Jersey, and I may go back at one time or another to. New York or New Jersey, I'm not sure. And then I'll be presenting at the International Boxing Hall of Fame. In Nice. That is in, wait a minute, in, when the hell is that again? It is in June, I think. I'm getting confused now with all the dates that I have, but I'll be in, um, presenting at the International Boxing Hall of Fame. I think the uh, inducting... Um, Evander Holyfield, one of the great warriors of all time. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, a lot of other fighters will be there, and I was very honored to be invited to be the Grand Marshal, you know. Man, and then that in is... uh, June, I will also be inducted into the German-American uh, Hall of Fame, and um, um, former inductees were, I mean, from President Eisenhower to Henry Kissinger to... Um, all kinds of people, because the influence of German immigrants in America have been substantial and um, deep, and because of both world wars, it is not talked about very much, but uh, the contributions of German immigrants in this country have been enormous. It's the largest ethnic group in America, unbeknownst to most Americans. And That's right. if I don't mention that. Yep because I'm sick and tired of Germans just being identified with a 12-year period. Yeah, It pisses right. me off. You're right. There you go. That's, that's right, man. Well, Eric, man, it's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Best of luck <clears throat> to you in all your endeavors. Thank you, William, man. Anytime, okay? And uh, now, who, who do you think is going to win March Madness? North Carolina, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Roy, Roy Williams. Well, good luck to you. Good luck to you. <laughs> Boy, the games have been close. Whoa. They've been cliffhangers. Yeah, man. Except yeah. UCLA, thank God, they walked away yesterday from, from uh, who did they play? They played Cincinnati. Tough game at first. And so mm. I hope the Bruins will win. Yeah, a lot right? of close saves. Yes, exactly. All right, my man. <laughs> Talk to you, William. Okay, man. Take it easy. You'll be cool. Right on. Bye. Okay, I will. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks, uh, remember to do something for your career every day and break a leg. Have a good afternoon. Looking for a show to see this weekend? Look no further than D.C. Metro Theater Arts. They've got reviews, Q&As with actors, and much, much more. Visit DCMetroTheaterArts.com. That's DCMetroTheaterArts.com. 
Under the dark you pacify me Hold my breath Take me down, I won't fight Beat on my heart, you drum inside me Somewhere 